Hi, I'm Scott, and this is Tangents. Um, I, I'm a little bit distracted uh, because uh, I was just uh, just talking with someone on Twitter about, I guess she was a waitress, and uh, obviously got laid off because of uh, the current situation, and her unemployment benefits are about to run out, and uh, which are very meager to begin with. And it's just so, like, it's so fucking disgusting that we live in the society. We are, no bullshit, arguably the wealthiest and most powerful country in the history of the world. Um, you could maybe make a case for someone else, but uh, it'd be tough. We spend more on the military by, <laughs> by a factor of, not like 1.1, but like a factor of 5. Um, from the next country and it's it's just it, it's indefensible to look at like to be a country like us and not be able to support our people you know to have such disparity in terms of the the, the people that have I guess I hate saying haves and have nots because it's such a cliche but the people who have money, the people who are in a decent position are, I'm not saying comfortable now, but, you know, I, I mean, I'm not nearly Nancy Pelosi. You know, I'm not uh, like a hundred millionaire with a really nice house and a couple, you know, $12,000 uh, industrialish fridges and a bunch of expensive ice cream. But for me, this pandemic has been uncomfortable in the sense that I can't go out to eat. Um, I have a little bit of, you know, like less social contact, although I'm not the most social person in the first place, so has not really impacted me much at all. Uh, my business is not hurting, and, you know, actually, if anything, we're doing slightly better, which is pretty fucked up. And... Yeah, I just look at the same time. I, I have friends who work in food service. I have friends who um, have, have low-level jobs, low-level giant air quotes jobs, that they've lost. And they're sitting right now with no work, no money. Um, you know, and I'm not suggesting that they should be working. I'm suggesting they, they should be easily, easily paid for. Um, you know, just to subsist. They should have their mortgages and mortgages are optimistic for a lot of them. It's just rent, have their rent frozen uh, and ideally just, uh, you know, never have to pay it because you don't want to temporarily pause their, their rent for like three months and then, or who knows how long, three months may be optimistic, but you don't want to do that and then have them suddenly have to pay three months of back rent uh, when they're not earning any money at all for those three months through no fault of their own. Um, I've, I've been a very long, um, I don't know if advocate, but I've, for a very long time I've said, and I believe this to be true, that we are, we're not a post-scarcity society yet, but we're much closer than we realize. The number of people who are essential to the continuing operation of our civilization is very small. Now, it's not 
but it's a small enough portion of us that most of what most of us do is not necessary work. It's stuff that if we stop doing it, the world is not going to end. But most of what most of us do is stuff that if we stop doing it, the world is not going to end. The, and not, not only is it not going to end, basically we'll make zero impact. Um, a lot of us work in offices or we have jobs where, and I'm not trying to disparage what most of us do, but what most of us do does not fundamentally matter in a very real sense. Now, the garbage man, the guy who, and when I say that, I mean, whoever is collecting the garbage could be a woman. I feel very sexist even saying garbage man. But the person who is collecting your garbage, if that person stops working for a couple weeks, you're in trouble. Yeah, there is an essential person. Um, if people stopped going to the grocery store, like stopped not going to buy stuff, but I mean stopped going to work at the grocery store and to stock it, we'd be fucked. Uh, you know, you see all these people who are low-level employees who make pittances and who basically support stupidly wealthy people who own the companies. Um, all of those people are essential. Uh, all of the people, the delivery people and the warehouse people for Bezos uh, are essential. If they stopped working, a lot of us would be out in the cold without supplies. But Bezos can sit on his ass, like whatever he's doing, and I'm not saying he's not doing anything, but whatever he's doing, if he stopped doing it, the world would be between exactly the same and maybe even marginally better. Now think about that. Um, if you take most people, I think that's true to some extent. In his case, it's actually more true. And yet we have 20 million people more than who filed for unemployment uh, in the last month or so. And all of those people, like they're, they're making, already making just a pittance. Just for the most part, making nothing. You know, I'm not saying it's nothing, it's obviously something, but it is effectively nothing. I mean, compared to what somebody who's making even a million, and I say even a million dollars, like it's nothing, but compared to what somebody who's making even a million dollars a year is making, um, even just, they're making nothing. And that person who's making a million dollars a year compared with Bezos is making nothing. Like you cannot, it's very difficult to understand how big a hundred billion dollars is. I, I've, I've tried to explain it. I try myself, like I, I, I'm a person with a lot of experience with very big and very small numbers. Uh, I have a lot of physics background uh, microbiology, you do these dilutions and you do orders of magnitude all the time. And you have like 10 to the 6 colony forming units per milliliter, something like this. Very common number. 10 to the 8, 10 to the 12. And you start getting numbers like that and it's, you know, it's hard to understand at first perhaps, but then you get comfortable with it. But even so, understanding a billion dollars, like how much money that is, is just difficult to wrap your mind around. Um, I, I, I talked about this in an earlier episode, but there was a cartoon I saw, I don't know, sometime last year. And in this cartoon, it had a picture of a guy with like one coin. And then it had a picture of another guy with like a pile of coins this big. 
And it was supposed to be reflecting the disparity between the haves and the, ha the haves and the have-nots. Um, I looked into it because I saw that and you're like, interesting. Let's figure this out. If you model, so I, I modeled it as a hemisphere, but if you model it as you know, like a pile at the angle of repose of coins, it'll still work. Uh, it's actually worse. But if you model it as a hemisphere, then the pile of coins that Bezos has, well, this one person with their coin is down on the ground. And the pile of coins that this person has at the scale of this cartoon, which was sort of a like eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper, at that scale, that pile would be something like, and I'm gonna switch units, sorry. It was over a meter tall. I think it was like actually a couple meters tall. So it's, the cartoon looks like it's exaggerated and it is exaggerated, but not in the way that you think. It's exaggerated in favor of making them look almost balanced. And I'm saying, you know, like the cartoon made it look like the person with a lot of shit had a lot, but what that person had compared to what Bezos has, still, if you put those to scale, you have the person with one coin and say that's the average wealth of one person. You have the person with that pile of coins and say this is a person who's doing really well in this system. You put them both on the ground. Bezos still, Bezos makes this person with a pile of coins look like that person with a single coin looks to this person, um, if that makes sense. It's just, it's almost inconceivable. The amount of money that this is. You think about like how much money a person makes over the course of their lifetime. You know, you, and say you make the median income fixed for inflation. I think right now it's like 60K. Yeah, probably now it's actually changed a little bit, but uh, prior to the pandemic, 60K per year in the US, 59 something, whatever. And so 59K, that means in 10 years, 10 years, you're making a little bit over a half a million dollars, $600,000. In your entire lifetime, um, say you start working at 20 and you stop working at say 70. So that's 50 years, 50 years. 50 years, if you're making that, fixed for inflation and all of that, and that's the median, so you're probably making less at the beginning and more at the end, maybe, if you're lucky, but uh, let's just pretend. And that's also the household income, so this is one person, but also let's pretend. So we're being very optimistic and generous with what this person's getting. 600K in a decade, and they're working for five decades, so it's about $3 million that that person is taking over the course of their life. $3 million seems like a lot of money. Jeff Bezos makes that much money in roughly a minute or a couple minutes. A f best, best generous case scenario, like five minutes. I haven't done the math recently, but it's a pathetically small amount. And when I say makes, it's an interesting thing because most of the money that this guy makes is from equity. And that means he's not actually realizing any income which means you know, his actual income on paper is like 80K. You know, it's, it's like 80K, median household income is 60K. Um, I think it's in the 70s actually, but let's say 80, be really generous. So he's making, he's making 20K more on paper than the median household income. His income does not even touch 
not even come close to the top, the current top uh, marginal rate, which is like half a million dollars per year. So any money that you make over ballpark half a million dollars a year is taxed at the current top rate, which is 37.5%. All that income that he's making, so that is essentially zero. Um, yeah, it's, it's disgusting, like how little that is. Compared to his net worth is, it, it fluctuates, but even given the market crashing and the pandemic and all of this, his net worth is growing. And the last time I checked, it was like $110 billion. So his annual increase to that is so much, but it's not realized as income because he's not cashing it out. And if he does cash it out, if he does, even if he cashed all of it out, suddenly cash out, which probably would change the price of the stock and it wouldn't be actually worth that much. But let's just say magically he can sell all of his Amazon stock in one day and take $100 billion. Do it because it's a nice round number. He will pay not 37.5% on that, the top, which is already low, the top marginal tax rate. He will pay the top long-term capital gains rate, which is 20%. So this person with so much money that he makes a lifetime worth of money, well, makes is a, is a stretch, but his net worth increases by a median family's lifetime income in a few minutes, this person would pay 20%. And that's before factoring in, um, you know, he's not actually realizing most of that income. So it's not actually, you know, if he sits on it, pays nothing. Um, there are, even, even at my level, which is very menial, I, I feel like I've talked about this before, but it's something that bears so much repeating. Even at my level, I, I have a CPA and the stuff that the CPA, and this is not shady, illegal stuff. This is perfectly legal, reasonable stuff. The stuff that that CPA can do for your tax burden is ridiculous. Like the more money you make, the more you can afford CPAs and at Bezos's level, like a fucking law firm worth of people and a firm of you know, finance guys to sit there and monkey with shit and reduce his tax burden to nil. And Amazon is nil as well. And these, these are companies that pay basically nothing in. They make ridiculous amounts of money. People who I make is a, again, a stretch, but their net worth is increasing by ridiculous amounts per year. And what they're putting back into the system is essentially zero, sometimes negative which is great. And these are people who, I mean, to get to where Bezos is, he needed all of the infrastructure. He needed all of the, like he needed uh, a police force because you can't have a country. If you live in a country where there's just mob rule, you probably can't build a business like Amazon. If you don't have the postal service, you know, then building Amazon is very hard. If you don't have roads, and an FAA and an FCC and all of these things, these common goods that we've all paid for. If you don't have education, both you know early childhood all the way through university, if you don't have any of that, you can't build fucking Amazon. So he has benefited so much, like literally the, the amount of money that somebody would have to put in to give any of us 
and I don't even just mean him, but I mean any of us who have grown up here have benefited from literally billions of dollars of infrastructure investments. Probably that's, you know, actually many, many billions of dollars over the years of infrastructure, of education, of things that uh, you know, have allowed us to get to where we are. And all of that, kind of, you know, it's like part of the deal here is you benefit from it and then hopefully you pay back into it somewhat. And people who earn that median household income, they're generally paying their fair share of taxes, maybe more, arguably. People who earn even you know, half a million a year or a couple million a year, which again sounds like so much to somebody making the median household income, those people, generally speaking, are paying maybe not their fair share, but pretty close to. And then you have these freeloaders like, uh, like Bill Gates, like Jeff Bezos. Um, you know, whatever else these people have done, they have made billions and billions of dollars using things that are based on public investment and they're paying fucking zilch back into it. These are the takers. And then you have these people like, like my friend on Twitter, uh, not able to work, has uh, unemployment benefit that you can't just get, you can't just like go onto a website and get it. You have to go through some horrible, annoying, disgusting hoops to get it. And then it is a pittance. So like it is, I don't even, I, I don't even want to work out the math, but it's probably a millisecond of that increase in, um, in Jeff Bezos's net worth. And I guarantee you she has paid taxes. I guarantee you she's paid social security and all of these other things. It, it, it just, like the disparity today is so fucked up and disgusting. And it's not, it's almost inconceivable really. 20 million people in a country of 330 million people or so. 20 million people out of work. And those are people who their jobs may not come back or they will come back eventually perhaps. But after a long time, you know, once we have recovery, like people are going to recognize, hey, there are a lot of inefficiencies here. Yeah, I, this is something I keep thinking about going to restaurants. Um, if you go to a restaurant today, they don't have a wait staff. They don't have bussers. They have minimal staff, but they're still making, for the most part, the same amount of money. Some of them are giving discounts, but a lot of them making the same amount of money. I've got to think that the people who are owning these restaurants are going, hmm, this is actually a really good deal for us. Maybe we should figure this shit out and keep it going. You know, I, I hope, I hope on the other hand, that people are seeing, hey, most people, most of what most people do is, I'm gonna go out and say, dumb, pointless. Um, it's, it's basically just busy work. Going into an office, from, there are meetings that are important. There are things that have to be done. If you're a doctor, you have to see patients. Pretty hard to do telemedicine, although not as hard as it used to be. Um, but there are things that have to be, you know, if you're doing an examination, it's pretty hard to do that or you know, some kind of uh, procedure. Pretty hard to do that remotely today. But if you're going into an office, especially like you're in LA or someplace like this, you're driving an hour both ways and you're going someplace to sit in a cube, you probably don't need to be there. Yeah, whatever you're doing there, even if it's important and 
that's optimistic that it would be important. But even if it's important, you could do it from home. Uh, you could do it from, and home doesn't have to be LA. You could be working in LA, but live in Hawaii or in Minnesota or, you know, I mean, one, one thing that I would love to see have happen here, not optimistic about this, but I would love to see it is that people start realizing, oh, working from home, not that big of a deal, totally, totally functional. And then start having a bit of an exodus from places like Los Angeles, very dense population centers, and have a lot of hopefully left-leaning people start migrating to say Montana or Wyoming, or these states that have two senators um, and populations that are a fraction of California's, have a lot of those people start going in and start pushing the politics leftward. Yeah, right now the electoral college does not work for us, uh, but it doesn't need to be that way. It wouldn't be that hard, to, and actually your quality of life. Could you imagine if you're making what you would make in LA, but you're living someplace where the cost of living is a fraction of that, and you have nature, you have a lot of, I mean, you know, the, the things you can get there, pretty nice. The social part, there, there are certain things, obviously, like living in LA, gives you that you don't get, and I'm, I'm obsessed with LA here, but living in a city does give you certain things that you don't get in the country. But a lot of those things are things that could be brought in. Like for example, if you had, um, you know, if you had some kind of chain of restaurants and you found a way to make it economically viable in the country, um, you know, or, or entertainment or anything like this, and you start having more people there, you can start bringing a lot of those niceties of living in a city to places that are more rural. You can bring economic wealth to those places. A lot of these are places where, you know, it's not, I'm not trying to disparage them in saying that, you know, they're kind of left behind and they're very right-leaning, but a lot of them are places that have been fucked over. You know, they, they have some, there are obviously many things at play here, racism is definitely one, but there is some argument to be made for a lot of these states being a little bit bitter at uh, places like New York and LA, where all of the economic growth has been. And you know, you're sitting someplace in some small town and you see these other places which are booming and have been booming, and your place is just dying slowly. You know, all of the local businesses are getting driven out um, yeah, it's, it's easy. And the thing is actually like, even to the extent that racism and uh, things like that are a factor, it's very easy to foment that stuff when people are struggling, when you're someplace where you're sitting at home and there's just nothing to do. And the only successful people, you know, have left and everybody who's there is either, um, unable to leave or unwilling to leave. Um, and it's just, you know, it's, it's almost, and it's not a ghost town, but it's really bad. It would be great to have a lot of people from the coasts start moving in. And then you could imagine you do this and I, I say the coast, but any place, any major population center, start moving out to places like this, start realizing, Hey, you could have a shitty little apartment in Los Angeles, or you can do the same job and have a really nice you know, house and even some acreage in Colorado or in Wyoming or Montana. Um, not to pick on Colorado because it's not 
exactly the archetype of what I'm talking about here, but you could do much better. And you could do that, and it's one of the great things about modern technology. So that would be a thing that I'd love to see. I would love to see people realize, you know, again, we're not a post-scarcity civilization. There are a lot of jobs that if people stopped doing them, it would suck. If people stopped picking fruit, it would suck. Uh, and this is a particularly disgusting one, by the way, because the people who are picking the fruit are fucked over very badly. They're often making a pittance, you know, and, and that pittance could easily be a substantial amount if you just paid a tiny, it's not like you're gonna have to double the price of your strawberries. If you pay a penny or two more for strawberries, if the people who were actually in the, the supply chain weren't so fucking greedy to take all of the profit, you could double the price of what you're paying the people who picked those fucking strawberries. It, it makes you, when, when you start, it sounds, it sounds like hyperbole and exaggeration, but if you look at it, it's so bad, so ridiculous. Um, yeah, you look at also, like I, I have a company and by default, we've been paying people $15 an hour for a while, which is, you know, it's, a, it's not a ton of money, but it's a decent-ish amount. And the thing that I've realized about that is that, you know, when, when you see how much more it costs to go from say the minimum wage of, I don't even know what it is in the state, I think it's like 12 bucks an hour to 15, a few bucks an hour. For the company, unless you're greedy bastards and you have to slurp up all of the profit, it costs you a negligible amount. Yeah. Now there are companies that are really struggling, like legitimately struggling and they're on a very narrow margin. Uh, but for the most part, companies could afford to pay much more. They just, and it's not like they would suffer. They would just make a little bit less money for the people at the top. Just have a little bit less profit for the shareholders. Uh, it, it, it makes you just fucking livid when you see this stuff. When you see how much some people are screwed over and at the same time, how much other people are fine. I mean, this is a thing uh, right now, I get a lot of people telling me, you know, hey, Scott, you have to vote for Joe. You have to like grab you by the and just shake you. You have to vote for Joe because what about Ruth Bader Ginsburg? What about, um, I don't know, what about the, we're gonna lose the Supreme Court? We already lost the Supreme Court, by the way. It's 5-4. Whether it's 5-4 or 7-2, um, it may mean that we get to reverse it sooner, but if we don't do something soon, we're kind of fucked there anyway, as it stands. The damage is done. This is something that would have been good to consider in 2016. And again, you know, like, I don't want to relitigate that, but it makes me fucking livid that you have these people telling me this. And they're like, I fucking know. I give a shit about the kids in cages. I give a fucking shit about losing RBG's seat. Uh, but I'm not gonna vote for Joe. There's no fucking way in hell I'm going to do it. And, you know, and part of it is that there was a strategy that I had to try to wake people up and say, you know, like, this guy, if you nominate him, you're handing Trump a re-election, a very probable re-election. Um, it, it, it's not that that's the only outcome. I mean, you, if you imagine it, you have uh, all of the possible scenarios. And then in that, you have a branch. So you have minor stuff I'm just going to ignore but you have a big branch that was Joe getting the nomination. 
and you have a smaller branch that was Bernie getting the nomination. Now, of that bigger branch, that whole branch doesn't go to Trump automatically, but a big chunk of it does. I would say, you know, I mean, I'm pulling a number out of my ass here, but in my estimation, based on, you know, nothing, so don't you know, put whatever stake in this uh, you want, but I'm not going to give you, I'm not going to show my work here. So as far as you're concerned, I'm just making a number up. But in my estimation, it's something like 5% optimistically chance that, uh, that Joe wins. And so 95% that Trump wins. So in that 95%, things are fucked up. Nominating Joe is not guaranteeing a Trump victory, but it really fucking helps. And that 5% case, expand that out. Okay, so there's even a decent chance if, if Joe wins, there's a decent chance that we take the House and the Senate. Well, that's great, isn't it? We have, major we have Democratic majorities in the House, the Senate, and we have a Democratic president. Sounds great. Well, if you had get Bernie as the president, then we could push for Green New Deal, we could push for Medicare for all, we could push for all of these things, um, you know, student loan forgiveness, all of these fucking things that would matter. And we could probably get at least one or several through. And not only that, if we did that, then people would see, hey, government can actually work. You know, you have this thing like, uh, oh, we have Medicare for all. We were afraid of it, but it actually doesn't suck. And now you see that and you're like, what else could government do that uh, it currently doesn't that would make our lives better? Versus, versus Joe wins and we get the House and the Senate, almost certainly no Green New Deal, no Medicare for all. Um, just going to add a public option to the ACA, which does not help, by the way. I, I think I've gone over this before, but you add a public option to the ACA, all it does, all it does, it's still, his plan still leaves something, I, I don't remember the number of millions of people, but millions of people uncovered. And it also gives private insurance companies a great boost because they get to collect fucking premiums while people are well and while they're working. And then when people get sick and can't work, they lose their private insurance and they get kicked over into the public option. And now, this is like the Medicare for all who want it. Duh. It makes me want to fucking punch. I'm not, a, I'm not a violent person, but it just like, every fucking time I saw that little bastard saying this Medicare for all who want it, the Mayor Pete guy. Um, every fucking time, I just want to shake him. I mean, it's like, motherfucker. Because you do this, it's such a gift to the insurance industry. They cover people, air quotes, which means they collect premiums. As soon as people really desperately need that insurance, they can't afford to pay it. And now they get transferred over to that private, or to the public Medicare for all who want it or to the public option, if they can even get that. And now the cost, so it becomes this high risk group, which means all the costs are going there. All the profits are going to the private insurance industry. Their profit margin goes way the fuck up. The public costs go way the fuck up. And now this becomes unsustainable. And in two, four, six, eight, ten years, whatever, we end up having Republicans undo that. So whatever coverage you did, 
And not only are they undoing it, but they're undoing it with some cause because you're going to be over a fifth of the GDP. Like now we're already approaching a fifth of our GDP, but you'll be significantly over it, costing so much fucking money, we can't sustain it. And now you've just fucking, you've, all you've told people is, hey, this public option sucks. So who knows how fucking long you have to wait before you can fix that afterwards because you're, you're polluting the idea in the public mind, in the zeitgeist. So Joe wins. Imagine that low probability scenario. He passes some bullshit, uh, doesn't pass anything big. And then you have the Republicans going in and saying, hey, these Democrats, look at their, they're just not doing fucking anything. 2022 comes around and we lose either the House or the Senate. 2024 comes around, we lose the presidency, we lose the House, we lose the Senate. Great. Now, you've, you've also set the stage for somebody who is like Trump, but worse. Which sounds like, it, you know, it's like, Scott, how could you get worse than Trump? Go back to the early 2000s and tell me how you could get worse than W. Like, I mean, the fact that people don't see that worse than Trump is, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say that it's possible. I would say that it is probable, especially if Joe wins. So, fucking great. Trump wins, it's horrible. But I do think, I got to tell you, Nancy fucking Pelosi, I've, I've talked about this before. I, it's, it's funny how much I cannot stop talking about politics or thinking about it. But Nancy fucking Pelosi does not give a fuck if Trump wins. Yeah. In fact, I, I, I swear she would prefer it because her life is not going to change. She's going to get a nice tax break. She's going to get more donations. Um, she can be that, you know, she can do the sarcastic clap and not really do anything material and get, oh, yes, queen. You know, like the, the stuff that she can get based on that, it's better for her. She's actually fine. Like the idea, like right now, she's sitting in a very big house with property, comfortable. And the impact that this pandemic is having, this economic catastrophe is having for her is nil. All this shit that Trump is doing, she does not give a fuck about RBG too. I, this is another thing that just fucking kills me. Um, and I apologize if I've repeated myself here, but I, I can't not think about it because this is the this is the nightmare of the Trump presidency because this current, and it's not just him, to be fair. The current situation is such that if you look at it and you think about it, you can't not think about it. It's just so wrong. So does she give a fuck about RBG? I mean, it's a nice like campaign thing. Like, you, oh yeah, vote for Joe because of RBG. But does she really? If she gave a fuck about Roe versus Wade, then in 2008, when again we had a Democratic House, Democratic Senate, and a Democratic President, she could have very fucking easily passed a law that codified Roe into law. Now, you can still overturn a law, it's true, but it's a hell of a lot harder than case law. Case law is fairly easy to overturn. You just dominate the court. If it's a law and it's a constitutional law by any reasonable metric, overturning that is really fucking hard. And you know, like you can do it, but it's not that easy. The whole reason that uh, Gorsuch didn't get his confirmation hearings uh, was that McConnell was sitting there going, hey, you know, hey Republicans, I'm going to hold this seat, give me a Republican president, and we can start like 
just uh, shit-fucking the whole judicial system by pushing through all of these, you know, Republican activist judges and justices. And the whole case there that people, that people like this fucker made is this reductio ad infinitum, which is, you know, if anything, anything at all, no matter how bad Trump is, no matter how bad anything else is, it's like, what about those unborn babies? What about, you know, once you think that you convert everything to baby murder, it's pretty easy to go, are you going, sure, Trump is terrible, but are you okay with baby murder? You know, it's fucking easy to do that. It's an easy sell for people, especially people that don't think about it. Because, like, I, I know, obviously, fucking obvious, and this is, this should be obvious to anyone, but I do know Planned Parenthood, more than any single individual or organization, has prevented abortions. They have prevented more abortions than anything. And yet these people who reduce everything to infanticide have just fucking twisted reality in such a way that they've got people who think that they're doing good things, arguably, voting for assholes and terrible people because they want to defund this giant monster, which is really not a very, it's a very tiny fucking thing. They have people like Joe Biden, not to harp on this motherfucker, but they have people like this asshole supporting the Hyde Amendment, which prevents federal funding for abortions or, you know, like no federal funding. And if you put money into a basket, well, money is fungible. So it, as soon as you give Planned Parenthood a dollar, if they have like one if a, if a low single digit percentage of what they do is abortions, and it is a low single digit percentage, by the way, most of what they do is not that. But if it was, you know, that is that. You've given them one dollar. Now that dollar divides out by the whole system, and you can argue at least that part of that dollar is going, you know, low single digit percentage of that dollar is now going for abortion funding, which means no federal money, and or no abortions. Yeah, which is a sounds great to some people, I guess, um, but it's not. It's a terrible fucking thing. It, it just, like, it disgusts me how... It, it disgusts me both that these people are so fucking cynical and that the people that they're conning are so fucking gullible. Like, it is not... What I'm talking about here is not that complicated. It's not like you have to have a deep understanding of what Planned Parenthood does in order to get it. Um, you just have to spend, like, literally a half hour or so researching it or talking with somebody and you can go, oh, interesting. In fact, you should be able to figure it out in about a minute. These people, literally Planned Parenthood, they provide things like contraception and family planning, things that prevent pregnancies, prevent unwanted pregnancies, and thus prevent fucking abortions. The same people, like the reason that you know that they're full of shit is that if they actually gave a fuck about abortions, there would be birth control in schools, just, you know, like, I mean, you'd have baskets of condoms out, just strewn about, tossing to people. They don't give a fuck about those babies. They give a fuck about controlling people, and they also give a fuck about having a wedge issue that is just bullshit. You know, I mean, this is, this is the problem with guns. I, personally, I can't stand, I cannot fucking stand guns. They seem archaic to me. They seem like, um, it's just, you know, medieval. 
to that you have these these weapons. It is literally a you know it's an inanimate middle object, Scott. No, it is a point and click remote control to murder somebody. That is its design purpose. Now you may shoot at cans or targets. You may like oh I love I love pulling a trigger and having like a little piece of metal flung at hundreds of meters per second. It's like, ooh, I feel, it makes me feel like a man to be able to do that. You know, but, well, but it just, like, it's so fucking dumb. And you look at the statistics on these things. I mean, this is the problem. This is one reason that I almost, I'm not saying I'm seeding the issue, but I kind of almost do give it up. Because the number of people killed by, so if you look at, you know, it, as, as horrible as things like uh, like every town and these these things where somebody goes in and shoots up a school, they are infrequent and the num the death toll is pretty small, uh, which is th it does not make it okay. It's just you know you think about it, the actual death toll from guns most of it comes and that this is preventable deaths. Most of that comes from suicide. Most of the people that die from handguns are either suicides or accidents. If you factor those out, you know, and suicide, you know, to me, hey, maybe don't make it fucking easy to get an implement that can, you can pull a trigger and kill yourself. Seems like a good thing. But if you don't do that, yeah, ignore that, ignore that. The best case scenario that you can make, the best case argument you can make for guns is that they protect you somehow. But if you actually look at the studies, you look at the numbers, which the NRA suppressed for fucking ever. Um, they wouldn't even let people research it. But if you actually look at this, if you have a gun, the probability that you escalate the situation or arm an assailant is higher than the probability that you actually use that gun to protect yourself. Now, most, for the most part, still, the gun is just a masturbatory device. Um, you know, I, I use the term amosexuals for the guns, the gun nuts, um, with all due respect to actual nuts, because it is just fucking masturbatory. These are people who like, I mean, you look at, look at these fucking people, they go around and they have military style weapons and they pro protest carrying these fucking things around. Like they're in the dressing, like a little, um, Ooh, I'm a soldier. I'm just in a, you know, I mean, they're, they're in some kind of delusional fantasy fucking world. And the gun for them is a prop. I don't even think they want to use it necessarily. I think these are just fucking delusional, crazy people who have, uh, and, okay, maybe you're a reasonable person and you have a gun. Maybe you're on the left, maybe you're on the right. I don't give a fuck. But having that gun, not gonna do anything for you. Now, I'm not about to take away your gun. And the only reason that I wouldn't do it, this is, you know, you, you, do not, you can rest assured, I'm never gonna do it. And the reason I'm never going to do it is simple. Because the Second Amendment is in the fucking Bill of Rights. And as soon as you attack one of those things, I mean, already much of the Bill of Rights is diluted. But if you eliminated the Second Amendment, then what about the First? What about the Fourth? I mean, the Fourth is already, you know, don't even fucking get me started there. But so many of these things are already under attack. And you set a terrible precedent so, yeah. I'm, I'm looking at the time and uh, on that, you know, the funny thing is I, I wanted to talk about a couple of things that uh, I never even touched on today. So I guess I will save those for next time. 
Um, one of them, it's, it's not a complete thought, it's more just a passing thing. So um, just very briefly, I, I was listening to an interview this morning and the woman who was giving it, or who was being interviewed rather, was talking about science, scientific thinking and magical thinking. And she was advocating more scientific thinking and saying, you know, scientists are often derided and there's this weird pop culture thing like Dr. Frankenstein where they have this God complex or the idea that they have God com complexes and they don't think about the consequences. And in reality, scientists, for the most part, scientists are noble and they're doing good things. They're not bad people. And scientific thinking is actually, that's how we got all of this shit. Um, it's it's neutral, but overall I'd say it's a positive versus like living short, um, unpleasant lives in the wilderness. But she was arguing that she looked into magical thinking a little bit and did realize that a little bit of it actually helps. It makes you go through events and um, feel better about, you know, even though things are dire, if I have my magical thinking, I can think things might be okay. And she was saying this would carries people through. I would counter, and maybe I'm just weird here. I'm, I'm definitely not a typical person, I think, in this regard. But to me, I would much rather know that Joe Biden's probably going to lose and act accordingly than to think, oh, if we just do everything right, you know, then we can make it, make it work. And I mean, to me, and I keep going back to fucking Biden, but to me, much better to look at reality on reality's terms and act accordingly than to live in a fantasy world. And to me also, like she was saying, you can't be happy if you do that. I am now, and again, maybe my emotional set point is just atypical, but I'm pretty content most of the time. And it's not because I think everything is going to come up rosy. It's because, you know, being content or not in the moment is almost independent of that. Um, but I guess that's a thing that I can talk more about in the future, but I just wanted to mention it because it's on my mind and it was on my list of things to talk about. I didn't mean to talk about any of the stuff that I did talk about today. It's fun. It's, it's funny how that works. Um, and it also like, I, one thing that I really desperately miss, this will be the last thing I say, but I really desperately miss about Obama was when he was president, not only did I feel good about it, but I could go weeks without thinking about him. I could go weeks or even, you know, I probably wouldn't go months, but I could go weeks with, and he'd just barely briefly enter my thoughts and then leave. You know, things were not great, but it was easy to ignore how bad things were. And with the current administration, I have, I, I swear to you, I have not gone a day, like literally not 24 fucking hours in probably four years, like since 2015 without thinking a little bit about Trump and the Republican. Trump is not, you know, he's easy to focus on, uh, but a friend did point out, if you looked at all of the other Republican candidates when he was running, he's not that much worse. You know, he's worse, but he's not that much worse. And he would also come out and say things that were implicit in a lot of what they were saying. So he's not like this horrible anomaly. He's pretty typical. And I mean, you know, it, when you think about that, the fact that we're there, that that is the, like, no matter what we got, we were going to get that. Um, and somebody who is not that bad would not succeed in the modern Republican Party. 
it's like, ah, just makes me fucking livid. Anyway, uh, with that, thank you very much for listening and uh, say Jen.